Hey everyone, Carter Todd here. Here's another installment of Out of the Hourglass presented by Nolan Consulting Group. Enjoy the show! Alrighty, welcome back to another podcast. For those that don't know, my name is Carter. I am the new Member Services and Marketing Coordinator here at NCG, and today I'm joined by a very well-known person here at NCG, Catherine. Welcome. Thank you, Carter. It's good to be here. It's great to have you on. Um, today we're talking about the book, The Culture Code. Uh, it's our first book review uh, of sorts that we're going to get into a little bit on the podcast here coming up. And uh, you decided that The Culture Code would be a good one to start off with. So what made you choose that? So The Culture Code, written by Daniel Coyle, uh, was a book that was recommended to us by one of our uh, Nolan Consulting Group clients, Gavin Hepp, of Webfoot Painting out on the West Coast. And the book itself is about something that uh, I think everybody knows and understands to be important in their business, but everyone also knows and understands is very difficult to put your finger on and and make happen in your organization and that of course is culture uh so he he had been doing some research on making sure that as their business grew their culture grew with them or more importantly their culture that they wanted to have in the business grew with them and not subcultures or Mm -hmm. uh uh you know, different locations having different cultures altogether. Right. So it was, it was, it was from a client, and of course, since it's a, a, a topic near and dear to my heart, I just jumped right on that bandwagon. Okay, so could you just, uh, you know, we'll get into it uh, a little bit more, uh, but if, if you could just give a brief overview, uh, tell us about the book in a little bit more detail. Uh, uh, sure. So Daniel Coyle is the author, uh, and what he did was either – interview uh, businesses or organizations that had what he would define as good culture, or he also did some historical research to investigate how good culture comes about. So he did quite a lot of work in this, you know, in this arena, and he went about it in a pretty methodical way. So he wasn't just going in and listening to stories and walking away with just that in his pocket. He went in and spent time with business owners and leaders, really did some solid investigating to find out what exactly it was that these owners and leaders were doing to make sure that the good culture was happening in their organization. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it it is marrying the art of good culture with the science of how to make it happen. So I loved that it wasn't mm-hmm. just fluff. There were right. good actionable items around it. So so the first takeaway I'd get from something like this just off the bat is we already know based on what you said that culture is not, uh, you don't just happen to hire the right people that are culture fit that you get a good feel for after you know a 30 minute interview or something like that. It's something that you enforce every day every week. Exactly, it's- exactly. And I think the same way that we would approach looking at our gross profit numbers or analyzing our marketing plan or understanding what our savings reserve needed to be in order to grow, we should apply that same discipline to culture. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does in the book is he he shows that with 
a great deal of deliberate, specific forethought and actionable um, items. You can you can make the culture that you have in your head and in your heart be out there in the field every single day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I mean I thought it was just it's great. Yeah. So have there been um, any instances just in general uh, where you like on on your coaching calls typically where you see some obvious examples from this book that you can apply Absolutely. to clients? Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, uh, we are, uh, you know, it, it is, it happens to be as we're recording this, uh, the uh, time of year where we're doing both budgeting and planning for the next year. Mm-hmm. And... I find myself referencing this book on almost every single phone call that I'm having because of the planning and Big Rock conversation and the financial piece of it as well. Uh-huh. So I think that it it absolutely has uh, meaning and impact uh, on and you know in, in everything that we do with our businesses. So I'm referencing it almost almost daily. So, Catherine, in the book, there is a mention of the three skills at the heart of great teamwork. Um, Would you mind telling us a little bit about the first one? Sure. So uh, he does break the book up into these three skills, the first one of which is building safety. Mm -hmm. And I think that most good leaders understand that uh, hearing feedback is important, that um, engaging in good conflict helps your business to grow, uh, but but a lot of owners fail to understand how to make that actually happen. And I I've you know I've heard of stories where you know somebody comes in to say I've got a problem. I was on a crew today, and uh, the crew leader did not practice good safety measures. They mm-hmm. were not following the safety practices of the mm-hmm. business, mm-hmm. and the. And the first thing that the business owner does is blow up in the face of the person who's saying, who's reporting it. Um, that doesn't create good safety. It doesn't create a place where people want to actually come in and tell you what they are observing in the business. Yep. So the book itself goes through and highlights the necessary steps to making sure that your environment is safe for people. Mm-hmm. So it's about practicing active listening. Yep. It's about making sure that your team understands that you're available for commentary. Um, and I, you know, I think, as I mentioned before, he, what Daniel does is he really creates a, a very clear set of items or actionable steps that you can take mm-hmm. in order to make sure that um, the team is operating in a safe place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, for example, um, just looking at the book here itself, um, on page 83, he says, make sure that everyone has a voice. Ensuring that everyone has a voice is easy to talk about but hard to accomplish. This is why many successful groups use simple mechanisms that encourage, spotlight, and value full group contribution. For example, many groups follow the rule that no meeting can end without everyone sharing something. You know, and I, I can see business owners thinking, yeah, I can't actually have that happen in my in my crew leader meeting. I've got 15 people. We've got jobs to get through. I can't make sure that everybody's contributing. Uh, but I would push back and say it's it's really important. Even the quietest of leaders that you have need to be able to stand up and speak about their jobs 
ask a question of a salesperson, push back on um, maybe a scope that they've been given. So providing a place where the people on your team can do that helps to make your organization grow, right? Right, right. So it's obviously something here that is, is certainly coming from the top down um, in terms of enforcing the culture. It's not, you know, it's something that whoever's in charge, the business owner, whoever it may be, is, is not going to leave up, cannot leave it up to someone else to uh, be in charge of the culture. Oh, absolutely. If, if, any, if, if nothing else, the business owner is in charge of the culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, for anybody who it has heard Kevin Nolan speak, he's one of the things that I love to say, I love to hear him say is, there is no drama in Nolan painting. There is only Kevin Nolan drama. Um, and, and I would say that that should be true of every organization. Whatever you decide your culture is, and trust me, it is a choice if you are not choosing other people or choosing for you. Mm-hmm. But whatever you choose, you need to be deliberate every day about making that culture happen. Because as you point out, if you're not, other people are. You know, there's the subculture of side jobs. There's a subculture above complaining about your crew leader. There's a subculture of, um, you know, saying bad things about the uh, people answering the phones. If you're not, if you're not creating the culture of respect and uh, customer service and, um, you know, attention to detail, then, then those things are just going to happen around you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So there are two more uh, skills at the heart of great teamwork, as is mentioned in the book. Uh, what are the other two? So the next skill is sharing vulnerability or share vulnerability. Um, uh, this is something that uh, I've, I've often said in coaching calls and in presentations. I think there is no better indicator of somebody's internal strength than to be able to turn around and be vulnerable. Uh, and so what he is talking about here is um, everybody's ability to stand up and say, I made a mistake, acknowledge that there may be room for improvement, mm-hmm. um, listen to ideas. Um, it's, about, it's about learning and being able to understand what your weaknesses and opportunities are and learning from them. And... I think all too often we, you know, business owners have this notion that they have to be strong. They have to be strong for their team. They mm-hmm. can't let any emotions go out there. They can't, they can't say when they've made a mistake because mm-hmm. people are counting on them to not make mistakes. Yep. Um, but I, I, I disagree. I disagree. And, you know, so D- Daniel Coyle in this book features the fact that you know when you're when you're not doing those things Mm -hmm. you're actually shortchanging your team right and and i can say i mean i can't speak from an experience uh talking with clients but but here it's a very common thing for brian to say i'm struggling with this or can you help me with this or you know things of that nature to to level with everyone and most of all get things done the right way right Right. And, you know, you're right. I think it's important to, you know, feature that we're, we're all working towards a common goal. Mm-hmm. And when we can be vulnerable about, vulnerable about the things that we might need from somebody else or the mistakes that we may have made, 
um, we can get to that goal faster. Right. <laughs> you know, right. we just we can get there faster. Right. Um, I think that uh, there's a, another passage that I wanted to reference here, um, and it has to do with um, a, a comedy troupe. In fact, huh. um, so there's a point where. Uh, uh, Daniel is interviewing and working with a comedy troupe, and they're talking about a stand-up routine. Um, and the number one rule for this, it's a, it's a herald, by the way, that's the name of the routine. Uh-huh. Uh, you are all supporting actors. That means that no one person is a prima donna. I mean, you, all of our business owners and leaders have heard us talk about prima donnas. They, they do not belong in the organizations that we work with. They really don't. They're hurting your culture. Number one, you're all supporting actors. Uh, number two, always check your impulses. You know, are you moving towards a goal with only yourself in mind? Or is that end post a common goal amongst the entire team? Um, another one is trust. Trust your fellow actors to support you. Trust them to come through if you lay something heavy on them and trust yourself. Mm-hmm pretty important and pretty heavy too right right you know trusting the team around you uh, I always say I, I want I want the people around me to be able to make mistakes because if they're not making mistakes and they're not growing right and you got to trust that somebody's going to be able to get to the other side of the mistake and learn from it yeah uh but trust doesn't happen in a vacuum you know right and, and that's obviously something that you you read and uh, for lack of a better term, easier said than done. Yeah. Uh, trusting and, uh, yourself and other people can be a difficult learned skill, but, uh, you know, o- over time, it's just something to, to keep in mind progressing long-term. It's not something that overnight you'll say, you'll, you may not go home not trusting someone and come back to work the next day trusting them, but right. if you keep it in mind over the course of time, it, right. it can happen. Right. So like like the f- first skill, um, he's got ideas for action mm-hmm. uh, for all the skills. Um, you know, I think it's imp- – it's, I, I, I like this one. It's chapter 12. Make sure the leader is vulnerable first and often. Over-communicate expectations. I mean, how many times have you heard your coach say that? Um, have you shared the vision? Mm-hmm. Have you shared it lately? Are you talking about the vision? Are you, ac- are you actually – making sure that everybody on the team knows it. Um, listen like a trampoline. I love that one. You know, it's it's not just about making the appropriate listening noises, but ping-ponging it back and forth. Is somebody aware of what you've heard? Are you hearing it correctly? Uh-huh. So, again, you know, he, he's got some very clear, uh, actionable items. Not everyone is going to work for you, but... There are so many to choose from. I know at least a few will. Uh-huh. And is there one more uh, skill at the heart of great teamwork? Yep, and that's establishing purpose. Okay. So, you know, the establishing purpose is uh, going back to that over-communicate, over-communicate, over-communicate. Does everybody know what it is that you do as an organization? Do they understand what your um, – values are? Do they understand what your revenue target is for the year? Do they understand mm-hmm. what their impact is on that? Are they a salesperson with sales goals? Are they somebody answering the phone calls with lead counts as a metric to understand? But it's really important to establish that purpose and get to the place where everybody understands what it is that they should be doing. Um, 
I wanted to just find the, ch the chapter here. So um, one of the things that uh, uh, Daniel, or one of the organizations that, that Daniel uh, interviewed um, was Pixar. And uh, he went in, you know, did some interviews, did some observations, had some really good takeaways that came from that particular session. And one of the things that I think is pretty important along the lines of establishing purpose is making sure that everybody understands what the goal is. Um, the goal may be six months out, and there's a lot of work that's going to happen between now and those you know, that six-month end date. Um, all of the work that happens whether you're making mistakes or whether you are learning or whether you are getting other stuff done, all of it is going to get you to that end game. You need to be working towards it collectively. And he discusses here in the book, this is on page 219, with reference to the number of times that Pixar Studios will go through a storyline before they actually get to both the storyline and then the movie that's going to be released in studios. Um, and he's talking about um, Toy Story here. The project started out as a complete disaster, but then at the last moment, somehow we managed to rescue it. And then he skips forward a little bit. He sees the disaster and the rescue not as improbable companions, but as causally related. The fact that these projects start out as painful, frustrating disasters is not an accident, but a necessity. Building purpose in a creative group is not about generating a brilliant moment of breakthrough, but rather about building systems that can churn through a lot of ideas in order to help unearth the right choices. And that's pretty important for me when I think about coaching the organizations that we do. Um, you know, we, we definitely are systems oriented, right? We want to have a sales process. Mm -hmm. We want to have a script for answering the phone calls. Mm -hmm. We want to know that the people going into the field are going to understand how to start and stop a job. Systems are all that we do. But there's, but what the book talks about here, what he's saying here, is that sometimes within those systems, there needs to be room for people to provide feedback mm -hmm. or to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. It is those moments that allow us to refine the systems and make them better. Right. So you know, I I think it's just I think it's just amazing to be able to to feature an organization that acknowledges that mistakes are okay. Right. And, and because if, if you don't let, allow mistakes to be okay, you may actually follow the system to a fault. Exactly. You know. And then you might create bad culture. Exactly. Because you've got people who are doing things without thought. And they're following, even though they're following the rules, it's not the right, really the right thing to be doing. Right, right. Um, real quick, uh, one more thing. I w just because you mentioned Pixar, I'm curious, are there... You know, it seems to me that um, when you have a company as big as Pixar, uh, it, there, there's probably no correlation between the size of a company and how efficient the culture is or how, how good the culture is. No, and in uh, fact, that's um, one of the reasons why Gavin started the research uh -huh. to begin with and why we're working on this with so many of our clients there is a correlation between good culture and profitability. Mm -hmm. No doubt there is a direct connection between people who are engaged in the process and 
the success of the business mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that isn't to say that you have to be a single location, less than a million dollars, everybody coming to your backyard for a barbecue in order to have good culture. That's not the point. The point is it is it cascades down. It's like our cascading leadership thought process. Everything needs to cascade down so that every single person in the organization, regardless of the size of the organization, understands what the culture is mm-hmm. and how to get there. And with that in mind, just because it may be a small company where there are five to 12 people working there doesn't mean that it's going to be ex- uh, especially easy to control oh my the gosh, culture no. either. Absolutely not. So, no, you're absolutely right. So. Because you know you could be a growing business going from maybe two employees to 10 employees over the course of the year, that would be so easy to lose your culture, right? You're, you're quadrupling your business by adding that many people. Um, unless you're deliberate about it, unless you're deliberate about communicating it and the people then who are also leaders in your organization are deliberate about it, it will just fall by the wayside. So I, you know, in the, in the, in the hierarchy and the ranking of things that are important. You know, I put that, I put this development of good culture right up there with understanding numbers and understanding systems and processes. It has to be because without it, none of that really matters. Catherine, thank you so much. You know, Carter, it's always a pleasure to talk about books, um, in particular, something that I feel so passionately about culture, good culture. So thank you very much for having me on. Um, I hope Anybody who's listening will go out immediately and purchase this book, download it on Audible, uh, whatever it might be. This is a must read for you as you go about your planning for next year. 